friends, welcome to episode 197 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been a interesting week, and uh, we've had some uh, decent weather. Like, Michigan decided that uh, it was going to be okay for just a little while. Yeah, I mean, if, if decent, you mean, you know, uh, 8 degrees one day and 48 degrees the next day. The it fact hit... that there's 48 degrees, I'm, I'm okay with yeah, that. And yeah, not yeah, like, yeah. you know, thunderstorms, you know. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. You know, or, or odd tornadoes or something, you know. Good old Michigan weather, yeah. But otherwise, uh, doing doing pretty decently. Um, last week, Friday, we had my secondary wrap up to my original story from the weekend. Yeah, a little uh, little follow up, I guess, one shot just to continue. Yeah, our little rogue yeah, I, mission. I, I didn't feel like splitting the party for a third time or for a second time <laughs> in the same adventure for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think it really paid off based on the length of the time because you guys, we didn't get started until. Probably six o'clock, six six thirty. Oh no, it was much later. Than was that. it later than I, seven? I didn't, I didnn't get there until like seven, six twenty or something. Oh, that's true. That's true. So there was yeah. some miscommunication about dinner. Yeah, you, yeah, you had cooked, and then I showed up with a sub. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I think timing and everything wrapped it up pretty well. And uh, uh, from at least from my perspective, I felt like it had a good finish. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I uh, I mean, it was a revenge quest for my character. Yep, and uh, I got. Uh, almost a max damage cone of cold to <sighs> demolish, absolutely demolish my uh, my opponent. Yep. Um, the uh, the other player that we were teamed that I was teamed up with, mm-hmm. um, uh, he and I both had the exact same sentiment, which was it was nice actually just having like a buddy cop mission, you know, yeah, for yeah. the two of us. Yeah. And it was it was cool because our characters have um kind of similar backstories. We come from the same region of your uh. Of your, yes. of your game world. You're actually part of the world versus uh, out of the... Well, there's three out of the five uh, who are from the world. The other two are transplants. Yeah, yeah. So, so. It, was, it was nice. It was nice to kind of like... My character, because of that, because of that, that sort of geographic kinship, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of sees him as a neighbor. Yeah, I and, mean, honestly, yeah. And has a, has a lot of respect for him just as a person. She feels feels he's very honorable and whatnot. So uh, in character and out of character, it was really cool just to be like, hey, you and I should team up and womp some ass. You know? <laughs> and, and you guys did a great job. And we did, yeah, I, so. I think it was a lot of fun. I think it rolled pretty well. And and it was very traditional. I feel like there was a chunk of it that felt like traditional D&D mm-hmm. uh, of just stomp stomp the yard kind of feel at the yeah. same time there was a lot of planning involved yeah because some, we got some like almost political machinations in there mm-hmm. to kind of like get our opponent out into the open and exposed where we could yeah because i didn't him. i didn't know how you guys wanted to handle that i wanted I to no give either. you guys the options so yeah. um so it was good like it was one of those situations as a storyteller where i came into it like well i can throw options out but i would rather kind of let things slowly evolve and see where the players want to take it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but not so slow that it was like, okay, you guys have had an exhausting day of work. It's Friday. It's the end of the week. You're beat. Like your brain isn't on the game. How I got to get you engaged into it enough that you can be your characters to figure it out. Yeah, and I think you guys did yeah. that well. Yeah, I think so, so too. Yeah. So overall, uh, for for a breakup game, I think, and and a split party as our last show kind of talked about, um. It, uh, I think it handled it well. I yeah, it handled it real well. I thought so, so too. I thought so too. It was a really satisfying ending to that plot line. Good. Uh, and then I've got my game coming up next weekend. 
This weekend. Uh, it, well, that's what I mean. Like this coming yes, weekend. Yes, like yes, yes. The, the next Saturday Correct. that will occur yes. in chronologically is when it is. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, uh, I have uh, kind of as I, was, as I was telling one of our players, like I have precisely one spoon right now. <laughs> And, Sometimes uh, you have to wiggle that spoon. <laughs> I'm 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 going to gamble that spoon in the uh, on the idea that running my game and spending some time with my friends and seeing smiles on their faces is going to give me uh, a a return on dividends of of spoons. So yeah, and I I think you've got enough designed already in place to be able to let cards fall. Yeah, it, it's not going to be the execution of the game that 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 that's been that I've been fretting about. It's uh yeah. w- a, a, once again I set a very high bar for myself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to build another terrain project and just have been struggling to keep myself above water mentally. Mm-hmm. No, and I didn't. <laughs> so it's just been like um, I could just sit on the couch and exist for a little bit and be cool, mm-hmm. or I could expend energy and end up underwater tomorrow, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I just, I, even getting the game together has been, has been a little difficult for me. The The winter has not been, yeah. I don't know, I've been dealing with this winter very often, or very, very well, so. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw this out there because it literally flashed across my mind. Mm-hmm. We have another Storyteller Conclave member who has a set piece. Now I know you did you already did your drawing. Mm-hmm. But in cases like this and I'm just saying this in in theory, I'm not saying anything. There's no reason why you couldn't reach out to a member of the conclave and be like, "Hey, does somebody have a map for this? I have true. zero spoons." I mean, I I have I have a digital you map. You do. That's what, what I'm saying. You do. Like, I might we... I might talk to you about actually using your map thing for sure. for this. Easy done. Because I do have an actual like map that I was trying to duplicate in three dimensions. Yeah, to do the layering that you wanted. Yeah, yeah, but it just it turned out to be a lot bigger of a project than than I than I could handle, and I just haven't like I said I haven't had the energy for it. So I might reach out to you, but that that's a that's not for on the air. We'll talk no, about that later. I've got some ideas already in my head if you, for what you can think of. Uh, but yeah, uh, but we do have a show tonight. We do have a show tonight. Now, oddly enough, <laughs> one year ago in a day, right? One, one year, year and in day. one day yeah. because of how because of how Wednesdays line up across yes. multiple years. Um. We did uh, Stars Without Number. Yes. And honestly, it was one of our biggest shows. Uh, yeah. Sinamine Publishing by uh, Kevin Crawford. By Kevin uh, Crawford, who yeah. is Who is a fellow Michigander. Yeah, yeah. up in uh, Traverse City up area. Traverse City, yeah. That's uh, if you're If you're looking at them, and that's the pinky. That's where cherries um, and wine come from. That's where cherries from. and wine come from. That yep. is very true. And <laughs> now a ton of beer, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, Stars Without Number is not the first in the series. He's published a ton of stuff oh yeah um, yeah yeah. yeah. They've, they're very prolific very prolific um but uh stars out number is the, the, the with, i would say is the progenitor in the series mm-hmm. uh and then this is the second in the series uh so stars without number which was 2010 there was kind of a rebirth that happened later uh and then uh, the kickstarter for uh, worlds without numbers which we're doing tonight was uh in 2020 and was funded for over 200,000 right off the bat um, which was great, and he's literally starting cities without number right now. The Kickstarter's going. Yeah, on. we saw that. I think last Wednesday he launched the Kickstarter yeah. for that. Now I'm I'm now. gonna stroke and wax a little bit here on on cities just to because if you listen to this show and you've listened to our previous show and you like, you know, stars without numbers, you like worlds without numbers, by all means. Do yourself a favor, go jump on the Kickstarter and support this. Now, I'm not saying that because you're going to get something special, because Kevin is amazing. Kevin is actually going to be publishing the um, cities uh, on 
uh, drive through RPG for free. Yep, yep. That's that's like an SRD is going up there for this. Sure. Uh, which I think is amazing. And in fact, well, he did the same thing with Stars Without Number yep. and Worlds Without Number. There Correct. are free versions of those, but then there are deluxe versions of that Correct. book out there as well. Um, but one of the things that he's going to do on top of that is that if he hits a specific value, which I think is like, I can't remember. It's in the it's in the tens of thousands. Um, it's going to be his millionth dollar, and in that he will release, uh for free as well how to kickstart all okay. the things he's learned okay and how to do it properly which i think is beautiful and he's gonna throw that up on drive through rpg which is a huge gift to the community for anyone who's thought about launching on their own publishing getting through the whole kickstarter bs because there's a lot that you have to deal with with that mm-hmm. i think that's incredible and then if he hits his two hundred thousand, like he normally did he's actually gonna either creative commons or orc or whatever yeah. to the system Very and nice. just make it available because he's never and the thing is is he's never stopped anyone from basically grabbing the mechanics of this and saying hey let's you go ahead and use the system have fun with it do whatever he's never stopped anybody so sure, long as yeah. you're not mimicking his worlds his npcs his things like that you know go ahead and use the system and two is great i think that's incredible i think it's wonderful i think it falls under a lot of the things that uh most uh, most of the systems are are trying to do right now. Well, yeah, I mean, any, anybody who takes like two of his major flagship uh, games for for his brand and puts them up for free, yeah, like ninety percent of the rules are out there for free, yeah, uh, on Drive Through RPG, you yeah. Know? Um, so I, in my personal opinion, go support a fellow, effectively conclave person who really appreciates the community appreciates gaming appreciates people building worlds and and doing these things oh, yeah yeah um, absolutely so i i i 100 stand behind that um and being that being said this book is beautiful as well yeah yeah i was really impressed with the uh the overall like look and feel of the book it's very very clean very professional yeah the artwork is really good in it uh it again the artwork has that same feeling of immenseness mm-hmm. that you are small in an immense world yeah which i think is uh, another beautiful testament to like stars without numbers had that same feeling like you were a speck in the universe yeah but this is still part of the universe and this you are a you are a speck in front of this demon in front of this monster in front of this giant temple temple but you're still there mm-hmm. and 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 having your impact on it and i think that's that's a beautiful statement that comes through the book especially in the art yeah yeah absolutely. um but the the world itself is, and I, I I look at the the the, the gyre and I think gree gyre gyre I, gyre I can, my, gyre's my guess my my brain can never really put it is the the physical setting of the book is a world that is eons after man has effectively grown and fallen risen and fallen and risen and fallen and gone to the stars gone to other dimensions come back whatever may be feels a lot like numenara in that i got a really right big numenara vibe from it yeah 100% except like numenara kind of steps in and also adds other elements of question like is it only humanity here mm-hmm. were there other influences that stopped and this game doesn't discount that at all sure they kind of reference that in a couple places where sure why not? You know, there's clearly some other factions involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but effectively, there's so been so many ages of rise and fall that we have the um, Venetian effect where everything's layered. Yeah. You don't know where old and new begin, and we are in old again. So 
Um, these in these times of trouble, as things have risen to a point, gods of men have come up. These heroic beings um, that have come from other stars, other dimensions, to return and try and retake what humanity was in some form, and heroes rise against that, which eventually calls, causes another breakdown mm-hmm. um, in, in a good way. But I I have to read this paragraph because I found it, again, so poetic. Right, right. And, and so, like, each each part of the prologue pulls you further and further in, and it's a single page of poetry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Yet our kings are beggar princes at best, and our sages but stumbling children. So deep is the past of the latter earth that no one truly understands what has gone on before or can lay sure hands on the legacy we have inherited. We wield strange powers we no longer comprehend and summon forces that were never meant for our petty purposes. We live in a world haunted by those who came before us and we suffer for the sins of their deeds. Of their dead. Of their dead. Yeah. So, and it's, you look at that and you're like, okay, first off, beautiful poetry, mm-hmm. but su- such a succinct way. Like, if if you are opening a game, mm-hmm. that is a crawl. Yeah. Yeah, that's really And you're good. like, ooh, like, I could see that in the, the way, like, even in, like, the Conan slow text, you oh, know? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, well, thunderous music of uh, is is very, l- you know, lurching in the background, but it's this, this ominous tone that's just drumming. In, for, in front of you. And it's it it does very much feel like Numenera, but like from an outsider's perspective, it kind of feels like someone romantically looked at Morkborg or Merkborg and said, I see beauty in the dead of this world, and then handed it a wilted rose. You know, and you're like, Okay, this this is beautiful. I'm gonna take a little beauty of this, but it's harsh. Wow. Nothing has made me want to wear black lipstick and listen to My Chemical Romance more than what you just said to me. <laughs> it's, but it's true. I, I love the poetry of of how this book is written mm-hmm. just as much as I loved the poetry that I saw within uh, Stars Without Numbers. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's always wonderful when you can, from the very first page, you're, you're just drinking in all of this. And you're like, okay, I'm in. Oh, yeah, sure. it's going to be harsh. Yeah, there's going to be problems. You know, let's get this down. But That's... when but when when you just when you just read the intro to a book and you can close your eyes and you can already envision your characters there you can already envision the type of stories that you want to tell there that's real true inspiration and that's and that's that's beautiful it's beautiful that the flavor for this game you know can can do that so easily and be so evocative yeah you know uh Duncan from Dragon Age that voice the tone I could yeah, I agree I totally agree Knox I totally agree um and it's Opening a book and having that feeling right set before you yeah, gives yeah, you pleasure to step into it. And then literally the book, without a doubt, immediately tells you, I am OSR. Welcome. Welcome to the pain. Oh, yep. Which is, there's no, Stars Without Numbers. Uh, I'm just going to say this. There's a huge portion of this mechanics. Go back and listen to Stars Without Numbers, our episode there. You're going to hear a lot of the repetitiveness here. There are some shifts. Not a lot. Yeah. Uh, the, in fact, the, the two systems are designed to be compatible with one another. Yeah. Which I which I really liked. Um. So, um. I know we we got a. I, th- I think one of one of Nevim's questions this week was, you know, are the two systems compatible? And I'll go right ahead and I'm going to answer it right here from the get go. Yeah. yeah. They are. They mm-hmm. were designed that way, and you can absolutely grab both of these books and run a really cool space fantasy 
you know, uh, Star Wars style or Spelljammer style, um, you absolutely can do that, and mm-hmm. it takes very little work to do so. Yep. Um, so, uh, uh, just a reminder, when we're talking about, um, you know, OSR, uh, we're talking about games that kind of lend themselves back to the, uh, the fledgling days of tabletop role-playing, you know, the fir- first, first and second D&D yeah. and whatnot, where, yeah. um, hit point pools were low, mm-hmm. life was cheap, mm-hmm. um, you were encouraged to avoid conflict and come up with creative solutions because getting in straight up heroic slogs with your enemies typically resulted in lots of dead on either side. Yeah. Quickest way to want quickest way to make a new character, honestly, yeah. was to get the in a fight. Tr- true attrition character. style war, except you don't have an army. And that's right. the difference. Right. You know, Merkborg basically says make another character and move on. Uh but it it, it also lends itself a lot to um I would almost say that powered by the apocalypse uh, style of theory of like play to find out. OSR style yeah. games um, are not designed necessarily for uh, narrative play in the traditional sense of like, oh, we're just here to tell a story, but rather to hand you the toolkit to hex crawl across this countryside mm-hmm. and not get involved in intricate, you know, political machinations, but rather. To go out and be an adventurer. Yeah. To see what the world has to offer and pit yourself against it. It's not to say that there isn't political intrigue going on there. Oh, sure. But your characters are not directly involved in the intrigue. They are pawns within the process yeah. and get to experience the the meat and the, the, the things that happen in the actual mechanics versus the floating tones of the world. Right. I, I get the feeling very strongly that in an OSR game, you're not the main character. You're a character, definitely. Yeah. And you're an important character, but you ain't the main character. You yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you the... don't have plot armor. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was, I can't remember the name of the game, but there was a digital game, uh, when I was younger where, the game begins with these two generals basically talking about the battlefield from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're at the same table, but it's clear that they're like one's in a tent here and one's in like a, a yurt somewhere else. And they're moving pawns on the same board set before them of their own things. And then at some point, it's you, you see them both slide pieces to a common point and the camera comes in and then it pushes through a fog that pushes to the actual field down to you. Mm-hmm. That's you. Yep. And now you realize the story is up there. Your 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 story begins here. Yep. You know. Yep. You don't get to be like the main characters are above your paid grade. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know. Um. A lot of times, uh, people have described OSR games as linear games because effectively it's like being in a historical con- like hit in a historical movie. You know the outcomes are bigger than you, but there's still a story to be told within the sure. framework of the outcome. Sure. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yep. Um. And, and I think there's there's something there's a real delight in not having that like sort of main character save the world sort of syndrome sure. of like. The biggest problem I have to deal with is how are we going to cart this gold out of this little podunk dungeon? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to start off talking about uh, uh, character creation. Um, I don't see why not. It's very similar to Stars Without Number, but sure. of course we're not going to rely on you to have gone back and listened to a completely different episode. Right. We'll give you it. But we'll give you it. Um, the basis here, um, this uh, Worlds Without Number and Stars Without Number before it are essentially a... Uh, I almost want to call it a watered-down version, but I'm not sure that's that's true. 
of third edition D and D. Okay. Um, in the previous episode, I described it as D and D. If everybody just chilled out. Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean, your numbers are all a lot lower. Mm -hmm. Everything is just plus ones or plus twos. And it's very manageable from a, from a number standpoint, you're not hitting these twenties, thirties, forties on your dice all the time. It's like if you hit a 12, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. You know? um, you've got the same six attributes that you're used to in Dungeons and Dragons. So you've yep. got Strength, Con, Dex, uh, Int, Wisdom, and Charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, however, again, once your your stats are all very a lot lower, um, your modifiers are only going to go up to plus one or plus two. And the dead zone in the middle where, um, like in 5th edition D&D, it's 10 and 11 that don't give you a modifier... I uh, there are where is it? There's a whole range in the middle that mm-hmm. just uh, I think it's like eight to fourteen don't have any modifiers. Yeah, it's a it's a giant swath of space. Um, you can do standard array, mm-hmm. uh, but they encourage you to roll your uh, roll your attributes. Yeah. Um, if you do roll your attributes, you get to replace one of them with a fourteen. Okay, so you'll always have something. That's a plus one. Exactly. You'll always have at least something that's good in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have backgrounds then you'll choose because uh, mm-hmm. you weren't always an adventurer all of your life. Uh, your backgrounds give you a free skill at rating zero, which essentially you have some skill in it, some education, but it doesn't not enough to confer a bonus. Yeah, you're not a professional at it. Yeah. Um, and again, these represent uh, you know sort of your past experience. Um, mm-hmm. Your background will also dictate a lot of where your skills come from. Your class actually has very little to do with, like, the main brunt of your character. A lot of that comes from your background. Yeah, and, and again, that I think that there's a lot more systems that are leaning toward that direction, mm-hmm. which I like. I yeah. really like it. Yeah, I really like that, too. Um, so not only do they give you free skill, uh, free skill there, but then there's kind of like a little advancement tree within mm-hmm. your within your background, and you'll either choose or randomly roll. Again, they encourage you to randomly roll mm-hmm. um, some of those other skills that kind of come off of there, uh, and you'll have those at I think up to rank rank ones and rank mm-hmm. twos you can get out of that. Um, it may actually also result in some uh, attribute increases if you if you roll randomly, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of neat. Uh, then after choosing your background, you choose a class. Now, unlike Dungeons & Dragons, you don't have your intricate classes of, you know, like, fighter and ranger and monk and bar, you know, all those intricate little very narrowly defined jobs. You've got very broad classes. Yep. Warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, your advancement chart it gives you a higher roll for your hit points. You're going to give you a bigger attack bonus. Um, you add your character level to your, all of your damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get a free combat-related focus. Focus are a little bit like feats or edges in yeah. other games. Yep. Um, and then you get one special ability, and that's essentially that you can negate a hit against you once per scene or guarantee a hit that would have missed otherwise. Okay. Okay. And that's it. Like, that's the whole warrior thing. Which I think is it's simplified and fantastic. Mm-hmm. It moves... It moves things through because there's less to think about. Yeah, within the character, exactly. Um, and it doesn't. It doesn't so narrowly define your character is enough to pigeonhole them. Right, right. It's it's funny. It's like it's not my job. Mm-hmm. It's just what I do. And I and I that concept of like I am a cleric. You know, I'm a warrior cleric. Okay, is that your job? No. What's your actual job? Uh, I'm a bartender. 
Okay, so you're good at talking with people. Well, yeah. Okay, so what makes you a warrior cleric? Well, I can cast spells. Like, I, I know how to do that. And okay. I really like this particular god. Right. There you go. Okay. <laughs> you that, I mean, but that's the cool part about it is yeah. it doesn't give you a position. It just gives you abilities to stack on top of the background of the individual. Yeah, and, and we'll expand upon that a little bit later because um, part of this discussion is how this dovetails into other D&D properties. Yeah. And how to convert them over. And part of that how to convert stuff over is how to essentially convert over those narrow character classes into the broader character classes yep. available here in, in Worlds Without Number. Yeah. Um, so your other, There's three your, others. Your so. other character classes are expert, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of your uh, skill junkie. Yeah, skill junkies. They're jack of all trades. They're skill gurus, right. um, and they get a lot of like bonus points, uh, bonus skill points when they level up and whatnot. So yeah, I, I, I feel like this is a professions class. Yes, where this this person didn't do the other things. They put their head into either. Being a professional by voice, being professional by physique, or being a professional by uh, by learning. Well, it's called expert. Yep. Expert at what? Right, exactly. You know? um, then there's the uh, the mage. Mm -hmm. Now, the mage is about as close to a narrow character class as you're going to get. Um, being that basically their one thing that they focus on is magic. That's, that's their trick. That's mm -hmm. their whole advantage. They get access to magic. But, you know, much like everything else, spellcasters can and do tilt the balance of things because they can essentially break reality. Yeah. And I think that's definitely a strong Orisar vibe because back in the day, wizards were ultimately powerful and often changed things heavily within yes. a scene. And they but were fragile and narrow of focus. Right. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting in the way that they were describing magic um, or adjustments in magic in the game was. Um, don't step on another's toes, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, if something were to grant a an ability that effectively a, a, a fighter, a warrior should be doing, it shouldn't be a wizard's thing. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. That's that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, it just doesn't... You know, they're, they're, the, the mage should not be able to cover every base with their spells. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they're not going to cover every base, but what they will do is they will cover a base... That their magic is designed to, because you have what are called traditions, and right. we'll get to that in, in yep. a little bit. But your whatever your tradition is, it covers a narrow slice of adventuring life very well. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got your adventurer, and the adventurer is an interesting class because it's not a class. Right. It is a you pick two. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to a restaurant and it's, it's like, oh yeah, uh, here's uh, you know three things that you can pick up, but you pick two. Well, yeah. You know, you want a soup, a salad, or a, or, or a sandwich. Right. You know. Um, the adventurer is the you pick two class. Uh, you, it's a partial warrior, partial expert, partial mage. Now, interestingly enough, you can be two partial mages. Okay. You can pick mage twice. Okay. But different traditions for each. Cool. And so you technically get like two of them, but they're both watered down. Yeah, you suck at both, but you can do both. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Which reminded me a lot of 7th C. Exceptionally so, because it's the half-blooded. Yes, yep, exactly. The same thing where you're half-blooded, you, you have a bit of both. It costs you a lot, mm -hmm. but effectively you, are now, you will never achieve a higher point than your full-blooded you know, compatriots. But, but if you, you can, can teleport and sling fireballs, that's something. That is something. Yes. That is something. So. Exactly. Um, so, 
Uh, after that, you choose foci. Mm-hmm. Uh, fo- like I said, focuses are a lot like feats or edges yeah. in other games and whatnot. They're the special tricks that make your character do the thing that they do. Yeah, and, and I was trying to look at it, and I really couldn't... I was ta- thinking about the advancement curve on this and wh- how foci build, and it's really not that high. If I remember correctly, it's very low. So the it's not like it's not like your traditional games where you might end up with like five or six of these based on your class. And now you've got to remember all these neat little tricks you do by the time you get to fifth level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a stack of tricks and it's like, oh, God, I can do any of these tricks. Well, what I like about them is not only is it a very focused list and all, all of them seem relatively powerful and unique, mm-hmm. but um, there are two levels to most of them. Yeah. And so if you like what you're getting out of a out of a focus, you can double dip into it and get an even more powerful version mm-hmm. of that focus mm-hmm. then and be exceptional at it. Yep. Um, which I really liked. Yep. Um, then, uh, in your, almost over character creation, you take a free skill. Because yep. hey, we're not always just adventurers. I love that add-on. Some I think of that us should know be in every game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I loved that was one of the things that um, that Overwatch would do in his games is everyone had an outside skill. Uh, the Mad Elf does that too. Yeah, yep. where it's like, okay, what's the one thing your character does that has nothing to do with combat or lore? Yep. I I collect twentieth century, uh, you know, luchador magazines. Mm-hmm. I'm an expert at those, and I have I have uh, like you know early editions of them. I was awesome. Lo- I was love the one that I picked in uh, in the Mad Elf's game, which was uh, uh, my character is an expert at laundry. Yeah, I can get any stain out of any clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. I love that kind of stuff. I, yeah. I think I think more people should do that. I gotta make a note about that because I gotta put it in the th- thing you should try your next game. I gotta put that in. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So. Uh, yeah, then you take an equipment package, um, and you figure out, like, all your drive stats, your HP, your saving throws, etc., etc. Um, now, some of you who are astute and know that we are talking about a fantasy game that sits adjacent to Dungeons & Dragons, note that we never talked about picking a race or a species or anything like that. Nope. Um, Worlds Without Number assumes a human party. It's a very human-centric game. Um, now if you do pick up the deluxe edition of this, and I, I hope I'm not wrong about this, I this, I believe I'm correct here, the deluxe version offers meta-human templates yes. in it, um, for playing things like elves and dwarves and gnomes and lizard folk and such like that. Correct. And, uh, also, there's nothing to say that you couldn't also go to the other systems. Uh, Stars Without Number has other races as well in its deluxe edition. Yeah, alien and, races, And, and yes. again, they, they would be compatible, and you could make them just as explained. Exactly. Um, and uh, basically all you have to do for that is you just spend one of your focuses uh, during character creation on essentially buying that metahuman origin, and there you go, you're an elf now. Um, they do offer <laughs> a, a bit of a stat adjustment um, for being a different species, uh, that's more akin to, uh, you know, what their their physical form is, is, is represents for you. So you can get some extra bonuses and whatnot off of that, uh, which is why it costs a focus. And that's it. That's all character creation. Pretty simple. Um, roll up, get some skills, and get some equipment, and you're done. Yeah. Uh, now, the mechanics, like I said, are basically like 3rd edition D&D, but just if everyone relaxed about it. Um so you got the same core attributes. Um, low ones provide a penalty. High ones provide a bonus. Um, 
you've got three different types of saving throws, uh, physical, mental, and evasive saving throws, very much like your old fortitude, willpower, and reflux saving throws. Mm-hmm. Um, most of your rolls are going to be the die that's appropriate to it, plus your skill, level, bonus, whatever, plus an attribute modifier versus a, dungeon, a, a difficulty class. Okay. So it's exactly the same as it is in, 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 in D&D. Sure. Okay. In D&D, 5th edition, you've got a D20 plus what you've got, your, uh, what you've got in the skill for, for your proficiency modifier um, plus an attribute. So if you're rolling athletics plus dex plus a D20, right? Okay. It's the exact yeah. same here. That is the same formula you're using. So I know we're throwing out a lot of words for it, but it's, it, if you know how to play D&D, you can pick up worlds without number right immediately. Um, it is a class-based, level-based system. However, uh, like I said earlier, all your numbers are more or less toned down. Your power curve is a lot flatter. Um, your skills are going to be represented in basically just 0 to 5 rating. Or untrained, if you don't have it. Um, your attribute modifiers are, uh, zero between, oh, here it is, between eight and 13. Yeah, that was the And your attribute gives you zero. Four to seven is a minus one. Three is a minus two. Right. Only the extremities, three and 18, give you a two. Everything else is a one or a zero. Which is great. It makes it really easy to remember. Um, a lot of your derived stats, uh, are going to actually be the best of Mm -hmm. one of your two attributes. So it's a lot less punishing on what we call dump stats. Yeah, so like if my my con is terrible, my strength may be great, and that takes care of it. Right. You you may you may not be the the buffest person, but you are exceptionally fit. Yeah. So, you know, you know, or I may not be the 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 most, you know, jinky, dexterous, but I can think my way. I can think very well on my feet. Ergo, my initiative doesn't suck because it's the best of dex or int. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that allows for a lot more, uh, a lot more, more flexible characters. Um, mm-hmm. Experience is measured in single points rather than hundreds or thousands of, of experience points. Which is so nice. It really is. Um, Again, a, a very 7C thing as well. Yeah. Because it's just drama. Yeah. Like how, what do you have at the end of the game? How much it's, drama has you got? Like, I think it's like three experience points to reach level two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's very straight, very very easy. Um, and then most of your uh, the the only thing that really kind of differs from D and D, whereas D and D uses a D twenty to resolve everything. Yeah. This this uses D six, D twenty, and D eight. Yes. I think that's it. Just those three for very particular things. Yeah. So uh, resolving skill checks is always two D six. Yep. Plus your modifiers. Um, and then your, uh, uh, your target numbers are going to be a lot lower as well. You're mm-hmm. not going to hit like twenties in target numbers and whatnot. Right. Um, for combat, you go back to your D20. Easy so enough. it's old familiar ground there. And for initiative, it's a D8. Yep. Um, and your whole initiative is actually per side too. Yeah. You take the highest initiative modifier in your group, roll a D8 and add it. And then boop, boop. And that's, that's your initiative, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, skill checks, like I said, are 2d6, plus your skill level, plus any applicable attribute. And it's, you're not going to have high numbers there. Yeah. Uh, 14 is considered heroic or impossible. Yeah, because you're maxing out at 12, plus whatever modifiers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And when your attribute modifier is maybe a plus one, plus two if you're exceptional. Yeah. 
I mean, you're still looking at box cars to hit that. So yeah. it can afford to be a lot number. Um, having a low skill or zero in a skill is pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really like a, like you don't need huge modifiers because your numbers aren't huge. Yep. Um, so you really should uh, uh, kind of spread your character out a lot mm-hmm. because it at least allows you to have some level of proficiency in things. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, if you really stack stuff up during character creation, if you really, really, really focus and specialize, you might end character creation with a skill at plus two. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible for that, that one thing you do that's well. That's where our numbers are at, right. you know? Right. Um, saving throws are going to be a d20. Mm-hmm. Uh, base difficulty class. Now, I really like this one. All difficulty classes for your saving throws are the same. Okay. They're standard. So yeah, that's right. So it's not something that the storyteller decides. Your difficulty class for a saving throw is 16 minus your character level mm-hmm. minus the best of one of your attributes. According your, to the, the, the check. For your yeah. physical saving throws, it's going to be the best of either your strength or your con. Mm-hmm. Mental is going to be either the best of your charisma or wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then evasive is the best of your int or your dex. So, ine- so 16 goes to 15, inevitably, you know, on a saving throw, and then... In most cases, you'll either ha- you'll probably have a at best a plus one in one of those things. Mm-hmm. So, what your DC for saving throw then goes to a fourteen, a fourteen, yeah. Which you're rolling saving throws as two uh, d six, d twenties, or d twenty. I'm sorry, d twenty. So your odds are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, over overall for a saving throw. It's pretty good. I mean, it's start- harsh at the beginning curve. Yeah, you're starting off with a thirty percent, a thirty thirty five percent chance to uh, to pass the saving throws, uh, like as a level one character. Right. Which but- honestly is not bad. It means you've made it this far. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that. I like that. Um, the magic system I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, so it's very specialized. It does not have a huge, like. You know, you go into the magic system of most fantasy games, um, like especially comparing it to like fifth edition D and D, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like eighty pages in the back of the book are yeah. the entire spell thing, right? Yeah. So there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, five main traditions mm-hmm. in here, and they each get like a double page spread. Yep, and that's it. That's it. So we're talking about ten pages for just the spells, just the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple pages to kind of explain how the magic system works. Yep. And that's it. That's the whole thing. Which is grand. Yeah. Yeah. Very easy to wrap your head around. Yeah. And not a lot of, like, you know, min-maxing to do. Like, I find, especially, like, with, with uh, Dungeons & Dragons, you end up with a lot of, like, analysis paralysis. Yeah. I'm playing a wizard in your game. Yeah. And now, mind you, I'm, the good news is I'm playing a theme wizard. So it's very easy for me to just be like, okay, which one of y'all does cold damage around here? <laughs> Um, and then I just pick that spell. But uh, were I not, man, were I trying to be like some sort of, you know, optimal about how I'm playing that wizard, the, the, the choices are just endless. Just yeah. absolutely endless. So many things you can combo together, but not like this. Um, so you've got your, your mage class, your mage class, or if you pick an adventure that has a partial, you know, at least a partial mage mm-hmm. to it, um, you are eligible to take a tradition. Um, now magic goes, there's, there's kind of two different branches to magic. There are arts and there are, um, high magics. I'll be totally honest. I did not look at the section at all except for the headers and I went, what? 
Like, literally, maybe go like, huh? All right. So how it goes is this. So, First yeah. off, it is Vancian casting. If you know, you know. Vancian casting is what Dungeons & Dragons does. Okay. Okay. So it's the system wherein you have spell slots, you prepare those spells ahead of time, and you can only cast the spells that you have prepared a certain number of times a day. Right. Okay. There's no magic points or mana or anything like that that regenerates. It's yeah. you prepare, you cast what you've prepared until you're expended for the day. And then you prepare for the next day. You rest and you do it all again. Right. Okay. That's Vancean casting. Right. All right. So this is Vancean casting. Um, however, again, just like everything else in the game, the numbers are a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be preparing at first level, you're going to have like, one spell slot. Mm-hmm. You can prepare, I think, as many as three spells, and you can cast one of them once. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Have a nice day. Right. Uh, there's uh, the spell levels max out at fifth level. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you're not talking about like nine whole tiers of spells. One interesting thing is though is you don't have to tier. Like there's no tiered casting. I.e., in Dungeons & Dragons, you have, like, five first-level spells, four second-level spells, three third-level spells, two fourth and a fifth. Right. It doesn't do that in this. You just can prepare X number of spells, you can cast X number of spells, and the highest-level spell you can know is this. Go to town. So if, if I you, have five slots... You can fill them all with fifth level spells... If you wanna. If you wanna. I, I think that's grand. Yeah. I, I like that design uh, because it opens up to allow a player to feel what feel the way they need to feel for a day, but also run the risk of being completely ill-prepared. Well, sure. Um, but again, it's something we'll kind of talk about in a little bit uh, when we start talking about kind of how the flow of the game and whatnot. Exactly. Um, is that there isn't that expectation of like eight to thirteen encounters? Like not the, the resource least. attrition that takes place in Dungeons and Dragons doesn't take place in this game. Not in the least. So you might look at that and go like, "Well, what do you mean? Like, uh, you know, a tenth level mage only gets six spells? Well, yeah, but you don't need that many." If you're blowing six fifth level spells a day, like you have, you have some problems bigger than how many spells you have. Right. You know. Right. Um. Now there are, uh, uh, like I said, I think it was like five, one, two, three, four. Yeah, five different um traditions that are in this book. Uh, I don't know if there's any expansions. Actually, I didn't look into that. No, I I can't say. So, um, but we have the high mage, right? Which is sort of uh, like your general arcanist style stuff. A lot mm-hmm. of like I saw time stop on that one, you right? Know, only it had his name like it was like abdicate temporal presence. It right. was really great. Yeah. Um, there's a necromancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it describes itself very much as someone who just kind of studies the ebb and flow of life and death. Yeah, it doesn't come across as like fundamentally evil as most necromancers do, but the flow of life and death is kind of your plaything. That is the material you you manipulate. Um, there's the elementalist who, much like the necromancer, manipulates life and death. Elementalists manipulate the elements around you: fire, air, earth, water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are going to be kind of more like your blaster casters. Yeah, they have fireball on their list. You know. Yeah. Um, you've got the healer. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting thing about the healer is that it's all um, – it's only a partial tradition. There's no actual spells. It's all arts. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then you've got uh, the vowed. Okay. Uh, as in promised. Ah, thank you. Um, and the vowed are basically your monk class. Using they focus their magic yep. inward yep. to perfect their body. Um, gives them really great unarmed damage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, yeah, if you're looking to play a monk, the vowed mage is maybe something you want to take a look at. If you're going to go for that like spiritual, more than just a bare knuckle brawler, if you really want to go into that whole like I focus my key and punch a hole through God sort of thing. Um. Okay. And then I did notice that in the back of the book there are, uh, and I believe, again, this is a deluxe thing, there are some uh, setting-specific, some gyre-specific yeah. traditions um, that, uh, again, really reminded me of the Seventh Sea Magic. Mm-hmm. Because they're region-specific. Yep. This is what the people of this region do, and it's shape-shifting. And this yeah. is what the reason of this region of this people do, and it's all uh, uh, mind magic, like psych- psionic sort right, of stuff, right. you know? Gave me real seven C vibes. Yeah, there's a lot that mixes in this that 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 triggers great world building in mm-hmm. my mind. That, but at the same point, leaves a lot of blank space. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's a section that talks about building a tradition, building a magic tradition. Yeah, and I love that. Like, yeah, if a player is just like, I had an idea like X. Like, I really like Porte from 7th Seas. There's some way that I could do that in the cool, system. Cool, let's talk. There's, yeah. Yeah, there's absolutely the whole framework way to do for it. building it. There's 100%. framework for making magic items in here and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, now, we keep talking about arts. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's I right. kept referring to those. Uh, so, arts are cool. They're a little bit like um, meta magic and cantrips all together. They're little things you can do to manipulate how you cast spells and what happens after you cast a spell? Um, you have a, a a bank of what's called effort points. Um, and uh, those of you who uh, know stars without number, effort's the same system that they used for their psionics. Uh, and so in this, you can expend effort to activate one or more of your arts. And your arts all do different things. So they'll do things like, um, I want to just have the duration for this spell last indefinitely. So I'm just going to invest an effort point into it, and now it's just not going to end until I decide that it does. I won't get that effort point back until it does. Right. But that just puts a little knot on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it ties it to reality. Right. Or I want to be able to re-roll any ones I rolled on the damage roll for this spell. So I'm going to throw a little effort into it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are Those are basically what you get out of arts. And like I said, uh... Healing, the entire healing tradition, all works as arts. There's no actual spells, so it's all expend effort to get an effect. Which makes sense. It it, it binds you to it, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, that's the rules. Yeah. Y'all just learned how to play Worlds Without Number. Congratulations. You want to talk a little bit about the world building? Yeah, and, and I'm going to start this and preface this with basically saying uh, that a lot of this was a great translation from Stars Without Number. Mm-hmm. It is robust. It is 206 pages worth of world building. <laughs> and if you... if I will say that again. It's 206 pages of world building. 
I uh, I got to admit, I am so glad that we have kind of established a divide and conquer cadence for these <laughs> because systems. You know, I dive right into the system. I do. I know you skip the system entirely. You're like Sarah's got that covered. I'm going right I back to the GM. I quickly through it for to make sure that I wasn't going to miss something and actually looking through it very quickly. I was just like, oh, I remember this. I remember this. Oh, this is something new. Pause for a second. Nope, got to keep going. <laughs> and then I, I flipped back just to see what was yeah. what was beyond the game rule section. And then I just like I scrolled through the PDF and was like, oh wow, yeah, I don't envy your job. <laughs> this is so, so much. <laughs> there is. I will say this, and I'm I'm going to say this again later to remind people is that if anything. Just like Stars Without Numbers, if you are a fantasy person who likes doing world building, do yourself a favor and go pick up this book. Buy the deluxe edition on DriveThruRPG, because this can be whole cloth lifted right out and given to anything. I 100% agree. Yeah, a lot of people are just like, oh, I really want a good book on world building. This Here. is it. Buy there you it. go. Just buy this. Congratulations. Just, I'm not saying that there aren't people who write beautiful books on world building, but put this on the shelf amongst your, you know, physician's desk reference guide and everything else. There is so much in here, and it is so well put together that if if you don't know what you're doing, in two paragraphs he will explain it, make it very palatable. And give you advice, and then give you charts to roll on There's for it. There's so many it, charts. It felt like the Dungeon Master's Guide from 2nd Edition. Yeah. Done better. Because we've had years of experience. And Kevin does such a wonderful job of putting it together and then giving you nice, beautiful, simple charts to basically say, Hey... I've talked about these tags, which are basically just tropes. They're ideas that you take two things, you slap them together, and you have something created. This is a, to take a tag, a uh, a downtrodden peasant community that is a, mine, that is a, a mining enclave. So cool. I take those two things, I roll on the charts for both of those, and I have descriptive details of both, and I instantaneously have a community in my head. Mm-hmm. I know what they're going to react to and everything else. Can I go deeper? Certainly. But only when the players get there. Yeah. And then the moment the players decide to invest, I don't. I can invest myself and just look through the charts that I want to use. And honestly, or not. there's charts for everything in there. So it's yes. like when you do get there, it's like, okay, well, what what political organizations are in this downtrodden mining town? Roll, roll, roll. Okay, but, but now just, I know what their political structure looks like. What are their major exports? Roll, roll. Like, yeah, if you want to do that, you can yeah. do that. At the same time, it's not just charts. It's actually explaining to you. Okay, now that you have X mm-hmm. and you're you know and you're moving to Y, these are the the things that move that into play here are why the motivations go that way yeah. if you're thinking of something like this here's kind of an explanation for doing it and if you'd like to lean into that more roll on this chart and it will help direct you and it goes beautifully page by page that way yeah in eloquent yeah. writing one of the greatest sections that i want out on a poster board and handed to every single dm who's about to run a game that gets put up before the game is in this book again we need we need one of those 1950s PSAs. Yes. Of like the dude in the smoking jacket being like, "So, Tommy, you're thinking of running a Dungeons and Dragons game." <laughs> dude, I so want to do you that. You probably got some questions about the things that are going to go on at that table. <laughs>
Well, sit down. We're going to go through the do's and don'ts. You have a duty as a game master to... And seriously, it puts it in black and white what your responsibilities are as a storyteller, what your responsibilities are as a player. And they're they're simple. They're Mm -hmm. easy. If everyone looks at these and agrees, you move on. And if these are not as simply exquisite as they can be, I don't know any other way to put it. People try to dance around some of these. We've talked in other game systems where they explicitly tell you, like, don't be a jerk, you Mm -hmm. know, and things like that. The games that do that are teaching players how to play the game. Not mechanics, not how to role play, but how to be etiquette at a table. That's it. It's that simple. And then the, the things that are forgotten... Because when you're looking through mechanics, you don't think about... It It says, oh, if there's a skill check, you roll. This is what you roll. No, 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 no. You you say what you're doing, and the DM makes a decision on whether you roll. And the truth of this game is because the variance is so, are so close, that if your player... If you look at the player and you say, okay, are you skilled in it? Yeah. What's your skill rating? Plus two. Okay, it works. Yeah, this is routine you're, for you. You're not going to make them roll on it yeah. any more than you would for a, for a, for someone who had a plus 26 in thievery. I, I remember I remember Stars Without Number having an, ex, uh, a, a, an explanation in there where it's like, okay, so you've got a trained ace pilot that is landing your ship. Don't make them roll for landing the ship. They do this every day. They've done this hundreds if not thousands of times are they are they trying to land it in low visibility in a storm okay i mean maybe make them roll but like it shouldn't be a high difficulty no just 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 to see if they jam a landing gear and need to take a day to repair but that's you know but that's only like you're cutting through fog it's a challenging landing yeah you're feeling a little tension give me a roll exactly it's the same thing here is it is this the thing your character does then they, then they do it. Wash it's fine. lands to the plane a million times, but the one time that he's being chased through a fog onto a dense planet, so the gravity's a little tighter, he's like, give me a roll. I'm a leaf on the wind. I'm a leaf on the wind. He's actually worried. Yeah. He is seriously worried. Yeah. And everybody notices he's worried, and a roll hits the table. Yes. But up to this point, you've never asked that player for a single piloting roll, but yep. now the whole table knows it matters. Yep. And that's that's this game kind of reminds you of that to stop your players from being like, oh, I rolled a twenty six on my stealth. I I didn't ask you for a roll. Oh, I'm I'm gonna stealth into the building. Okay, just explain to me what you're doing. Yeah, you know, let's st- stop pre rolling dice for me. That's not that. What 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 am I supposed to be here for? Do I need to be here? <laughs> right, right. You know, and God, the other I used thing to, that I used go- to have players that would do that at my table. I rolled a seventeen. Cool. On what? Yeah. What, what were you doing? <laughs> well, I told you a second ago. I was literally talking to another player. I have no, no idea. No, they wouldn't even tell me. Like, yeah. I, I, a particular player in mind doing an old old game literally would just be like, uh, I rolled a 17. Yeah. Fantastic. Good job. Yeah. That's good job. Roll. Yeah. Anyway, what I was saying. What... <laughs> yeah, exactly. They He then goes into a, a couple paragraphs on social skills. And I feel that this section needs to be extracted. Yeah. Examined. And everyone needs to read it a few times. Because it does it properly. It talks about social characters who invested heavily in social. These are skills that are often glazed over in most books as just another skill, like pottery or physical healing or athleticism, you know. But they're not, because being good at social things is part of the role play. It's part of the interaction at the table, but not every physical player is able to meet that. But they, 
But if my power fantasy isn't being good with a weapon, it's being good talking, but I can't do that as a player, that's still a power fantasy. And just like the pilot, if I'm skilled to the teeth on that, most of my interactions are going to go well. People are going to agree or, or negotiate with me in some way. And it requires the same thing. And one of the things that, one of the sections that I read about this was I, I felt was a good way of, of wrapping it up was remember that social skill levels, no matter how high, are not mind control. They can't get people to do things they would never normally do mm -hmm. unless overwhelming situational pressure is involved. Conversely, they're also completely impossible to block with magic. So an expert con man can get next to an uh, Imperator, there is no magical bar or savings throw that's going to prevent him from persuading a demigod of a seemingly good idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the truth, is that your player may not be able to bring to the table all of the knowledge and wittiness that a character with plus two in a skill who is who is intelligent and charismatic mm -hmm. on their character sheet they may not be able to bring that to that table but you as a dm have to recognize just as much as that burly fighter can basically just kick in a door that they can look at that person give them a wink and you know and say i'm going to persuade him to to go with our deal why um, well, we've done a lot of things. I know we know him pretty well. And I, I think he's, I think he would agree if, you know, if, if I just said it right. As a DM, it is up to you to go, you know, his character would probably recognize all of the balls falling into place. Okay. So what you tell him is this. Mm-hmm. And you paint the picture for that player to make them feel like the god that is on the table yeah. in yeah. front of them. And that's the truth. That is the that is where you as a storyteller can make the, oh, you swing your axe and slice through one goblin and, and w through that same swing carry through and chop down the wall, which drops half of, you know, drops debris all over. That's the same description as you saying, yeah, you look at him and give him a wink and say, I remembered talking with the Lord Marshal, and he told me about some troops that were heading north. Mm -hmm. I, I believe you had land in the north, don't you? It would be odd for them to just come marching across that territory unmarked and see your battalion waiting in the keep. That would feel very much like a assault, wouldn't it? Perhaps you should let us go up there and have a conversation with him before he enters that keep. I mean, I bet we could probably do that inspection for him. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't make mean anything for us to walk across your land. That's what you would sell as a DM. Yeah. And that player, yeah. would, that character would know that better than the player. And now the player feels like a god again. Yeah, absolutely. And I, But it takes a special effort. But that's the difference between forcing them to roll on every social roll and recognizing a skilled con man at the table. Yeah. Yeah. But also pulling back and saying, like, whoa, 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 fighter, you can't just jop everybody's head off. That guy's an equal fighter with you. Let's roll this thing. Right, 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 you know? right. So those sections of this really sold it again for me. Just like Stars of That Number sold it on the sci-fi, on a fantasy realm, if you're in fantasy games, 
buy this book for this section. The f- oh shoot, I'm you're right there. Yeah, yeah I'm just, trying to I knock over the world. Shifted in my chair, and I I hit both my microphone and the stand behind me at the same time. Um, just like in Stars Without Numbers, this has faction creation, but the faction creation is fantasy based. And it is great. I was really impressed it's, with it's it. It's back to the mini game for DMs again. Yeah, which I love. yeah. I mean, that is. Uh, oh god. You know, it reminded me a lot too of uh, like uh, there, there's that bit of faction creation in um, uh, the One Ring. Yes. RPG. Yes. Where like you're creating your hometown and your patron. Yep. You know, yep. Sort of thing. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's that's really what it what it would remind me of. It's a very robust thing. And then there's a mini game too with like, okay, mm-hmm. what does your faction do? Yeah. What resources do they have? And how do you get your faction to do things for you? Yeah, what moves can they make? Right. You know, and what counter-factions are against them? What moves are they making? Yeah. You know, and so all these balls can be in play if you want them to be. Mm -hmm. If your players need them to be. If your players are now investing in a faction, what are they doing to up the resources? How is that affecting the game? Yeah. The pyramid, if you will. So anybody who wanted to, like, you know, oh, we we belong to a guild or something like that, like, this is... Boom. Boom, right here. And I'm pretty sure most of those mechanics can be lifted as well. All of them. Yeah. All of it. Because it's a side game. It does not impact the main... It just impacts story. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like a doom clock. Just whole cloth. Move it. Yep. Um, the tables for creating NPCs, monsters, enemies on the fly, fast, easy. And because of the world setting, you can throw anything at this. Mm-hmm. You can have demons, you can have otherworldly stuff, you can have other races, you could have aliens. All of it fits because, again, we're far, 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 far future. Mm-hmm. We are well beyond any comprehension of what can or cannot be. And... Who's to say we're not just a few years away from that here now? Yeah. So it makes me stretch my mind into what he's doing for city or for cities, mm-hmm. and I just I love that. I yeah. love that where that's going. Yep. Um, but <laughs> there are so many strong uh, proponents in here for using other adventures. They flat out say like, "Hey, whole cloth steel. Like, yeah, go go find a mines of whatever from a previous." highly popular game system with <laughs> previously highly popular that that used yeah. FACO. <laughs> right. We'll just right. use that term, you know, because you can literally just transfer those right in. Mm. And here's how to do it. Yeah. Here's how you do the math. Here's how you pull those systems and adventures together so that you can uh have a very you can just take that game, put a new skin on it, and throw it in this world. Because it works. All those work in this world mm-hmm. easily. Any any old school game that you can think of fits. Standard fantasy. That and that's the beauty. And I they they unabashedly remind you that you can do this and should do this. Yeah. And yeah. that that's fantastic. It does st- the the game system itself is trying to remind you that it is best played as a sandbox. It doesn't want you to do... It's not saying you can't, but it's trying to remind you that the system, the feeling, the mechanics, the um, the gameplay in general fit better with a sandbox design where these players are not the main story. They are moving through a world that is already in motion and things are happening around them that at, at such a scale that their 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 actions are are heartbeats 
within the day. Yeah, I uh, uh, Knox in the box actually in the live chat was asking what kind of uh, genres or themes work best in this system, mm-hmm. uh, and I I had typed out to him. I said the whole OSR genre is very blue collar, mm-hmm. um, and that you're not really anyone important. Your task isn't save the world. You're gonna have adventures. You'll go places and delve dungeons and fight foes and all that jazz. But like, rarely will you ever be important enough in all those endeavors to shift the tide of politics in the world. You know. It's not saying that you can't be a grand hero. Oh, sure, sure. There, there are there are points in this where they talk about in building a campaign, like, hey, if you want your players to become grand heroes, mm-hmm. you can be that. You can be a a uh, Gandalf of this world, mm-hmm. where people know your name when you come in because you're of lore and legend. Mm-hmm. You know, slightly immortal in most people's eyes, and possibly physically immortal based upon powers and things derived from the world. Um, but again, you are a still a player in the motion that is going on around you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the You are barely elevated above normal people. Yeah. And I say barely is because you're surviving longer than they would in those situations. Right, right. It's like you could be, you can be spoken of in the same way that Gandalf is spoken of, you know? Yes. Legend, people know your name, but like, somebody can still put a crossbow bolt in you. Or kick you off a ledge. Yeah. And you still fall. Yeah. I mean, you may come back, that's a possibility, but the chances... giant eagles on retainer, you know, but... (laughs) But... But that, but unlike any of the other systems where it's guaranteed that you know you drop out of the scene, you'll be back in three scenes. That's not a guarantee in this world at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not telling you that you're going to go that way because it does say like, hey, if you want to do the count to ten death, if you want to do the the recovery method, those are all fine. Mm-hmm. Tell those stories in a heroic way. That is between you and your players. But we are just as easily saying, roll up a new character sheet and accept it. Yeah. But make sure at the beginning of the campaign, everybody is on that page. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the campaign, they may feel differently. Roll with it as best as you feel it. Yep. Um, we talked about advancement a little bit. Um, but again, that advancement in the system is still very small. Yeah, yeah. Your XP numbers are very small. Um, and uh, there's not a lot of guidance for how to give out XP as far as like... Uh, hard definitions of things that should give you XP. Correct. It leaves a lot of that intentionally up to the storyteller because, again, it truly wants to be a sandbox. It wants yeah. it want, it does not want to tell you how to play the game. Yeah, it wants to give you a lot of tools and a lot of space and say, okay, how is the power curve of your game? Right. Where where when will your players be heroes? When will your players be beyond what the world is dishing out? And you decide you decide what what makes a milestone in your game. Yeah. You know. Is this a combat-based game? Well, maybe you want to give out XP for conquering foes. But if it's a political intrigue game, maybe you want to, you know, uh, give them XP for unraveling mysteries or making bonds with other characters or something like that, you know? Um, And then, uh, I mean, this is a level class-based system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, honestly, I kind of want to just skip over this. Everybody kind of knows class-based, level-based systems. You, yeah. you get experience points, you go up to your next level, you get more hit points, more skill points. Yeah. Maybe another focus or something like that. Maybe Still a new spell. slow curve. Yeah, sure. It's not very sharp at all. But the difference between effectively barely better than, you know, your hobos mm-hmm. and heroes is short. Yeah, there's only 10 levels in this game. Yeah. 
Uh, and one thing I also did notice is that there's two different XP charts. There's a fast XP chart and a slow XP chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're not exactly doubled for the slow XP, but you can set it so that you're, if, if you really want slow progression mm-hmm. over multiple game system or game, game, uh, game uh, Session. sessions to get to the next level, you can take the slow one and it'll be like six or 15 or something like that mm-hmm. to get to your next level rather than the three, then six, then nine, yep. then, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's almost milestone in the way that they kind of show the progression. Right. right which I, right. I think is great for this system. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So you want to go to closing thoughts? Sure. All right. So what does Worlds Without Number do well for you? Again, I'm just going to say it. Buy the book for the kit that's in there. Oh, my the, God. The DM's yes. kit is fantastic. Or... 300% even if you never play a single game of Worlds Without Number proper, mm-hmm. the toolkit for running any fantasy yeah. game. You're, you've got your sci-fi kit. You bought it when you got your, your Stars Without Numbers. Stars Without Number, yep. You now have your fantasy kit. Soon you will have your Shadowrun City kit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. That's happening. Your cyberpunk kit, Literally. Right. 90 by the way the moment you join the kickstarter you get access access to the doc that he's working on oh wow and can just immediately copy it and start reviewing it oh wow uh which is great so why not you know um but the the whole thing is is that as a book on the shelf it is worth it yeah every penny you're paying for it Uh, i Um, really particularly liked that it is um uh fundamentally compatible with stars without number mm -hmm. um from the, from the ground up, and so uh, very easy to literally get both of these free systems. Yeah, and just be like, yeah, I'm gonna put smash these two books together, and we're gonna play Spelljammer. Yeah, OSR Spelljammer right now. You know. Yeah. I, somebody said there's the once uh, Cities Without Number comes out, you can play the the uh, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. And go to different worlds that are at different levels of technology and different things and just experience it all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I, I think, too, with uh, especially with Cities Without Number, uh, with the addition of like, cyberware and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I mean, ignoring the fact that the Borg are a thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, but uh, like, uh, Star Wars becomes a very, uh, yeah. a very real possibility. All of that fits because because now you have the ability to do all of the pieces that make all of those oh, things. Oh, I work. rolled a mage character out of Worlds Without Number. Oh, you mean a Jedi? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they call it in this land. Right. You know? But again, I love those games that can cross. You know, I'm I'm world hopping. What yeah, are you, sure. What are we looking for? We're bringing together the gauntlet crystals. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, this world is a fantasy realm. This world is a cyber city. Mm-hmm. This world here is a aliens planet. This world is a blasted hellscape that has been in war, eternal war for, you know, And you must 40, fly through the mouth years. of Cthulhu for the last of yeah, it, you know? Yeah, And all of that comes together in such a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so put it on your shelf, have it when you need it. Enjoy it as a storyteller. Read it on a regular basis. Yeah, that's absolutely. that's right off the bat. I can't say don't buy this book. Um, uh, for for me, I I don't uh, uh, I don't particularly jive with the OSR genre. No, but I find um, I find the uh, without number series uh, by Kevin Crawford very easy to get into. It's palatable to to such a nice degree. Yeah, Worlds Without Number was very palatable to me as an OSR game. Um, it felt comfortable. I liked the low numbers. Mm-hmm. I liked the flatter power curve of it. It felt very welcoming for an OSR game, which I think mm-hmm. is something that you don't see very often, you know? Yeah. OSR games like to, like, you know, 
uh, uh, kick you where it counts and then tell you to suck it up and rub some dirt in it. And if you're not tough enough to play them, then you should go to a different table and pick a different system. Yeah. Go play Care Bear Adventures, you know. <laughs> Uh, whereas this game was more like, uh, you know, kind of invited you in for tea and was just like, no, nah, it's cool. I mean, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be cool. Don't worry. I got yeah. your back. I feel like we have like, we have SW for Savage World. We now have XWN, which is without numbers. X, the X, X without, without numbers. numbers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really like we're, we're, you're stacking the systems that are the, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. How do you want it to feel? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I love that. I love that. And it, it is not unabashedly negative to narrative. Mm-hmm. The narrative is there. The narrative is important. The backgrounds are important. The development of character is important, but it is a weight to get into the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that weight is paid very quickly in this <clears throat> and to, to, to make you dive right in. And I like that. I like that. Absolutely. So, um, but it is, it is also a compelling world within itself because without saying, you can just do anything you want in this world, just remember it's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Everything can be written off as magic, or as a mystery, or as arcane, or as a relic, or whatever. You could wave a hand into that, but instead, he makes it compelling. He makes you look at parts of the world differently, and doesn't tell you why it turned out that way. So yeah. your mind is drawn to, what were the machinations that lined up? over eons that eventually led to this Mm -hmm. and the answer is i don't don't know (laughs) but your brain makes you think about it yeah yeah because you know that it's eons later okay nobody cares that it's eons later in this world Mm -hmm. except for some sages who are desperately trying to remember the lost tech before yeah. Which is a term that falls into so many genres. Battletech loves using Lost oh, Tech. Oh, yeah. yeah. And absolutely. that concept. But it fits very well in that framework. Yeah, like I said, I got real Numenara vibes from it. Like, yeah. From, 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 from the jump. Yeah, just... and I'm not saying that, that this is really in that sense, in the grand sense of it, you could set the two, Numenara and this, next to each other for world settings and go... I see a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities, but like Numenara tried to be weird about it. They did throw and, weird. And they leaned into the weird. Like Very the, much so. To, to the, like, this is a fantastical world that you can't possibly begin to identify because so much time in history, civilizations, so seven civilizations have risen and collapsed in the time that takes place between you and this game. There were, what, what it felt like it was four breaths away from giving you the explanation for the wacky thing that it just put down. Too bad it died. Yeah. Like, the, the sentence died. Yeah. Like, there is a grand X, it does a grand Y, and a weird Z, because... And that's it. Okay, there you go. Or maybe he died while he was writing it. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. Whereas Uh, this game is just like, yeah, these people live here. They're all miners. They dig for this raw element. Yeah. uh, And they have psychic abilities. Absolutely. So now in this town... (laughs) It feels like you could easily play a game that's like with dinosaurs and warring tribes and stuff at that. But like underneath all of it all, there's like this weird element and, you know, tech rifles and, you know, whatnot. Yeah, you could probably do something like that. Yeah. Pretty damn easily. Yeah. But I mean, again, I, I like that it's compelling. It it draws you in, but it also doesn't say that your players don't have the right to say, I am from X, which is different than any of these things, that does Y. Right, 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 right. Okay? Be that person. Enjoy that story. You're welcome to fantasy. 
All right, let's skewer this thing. Okay. What is it? What does it not do well? Um, it's OSR. Yeah. Um, it is. It is not heroic. It it doesn't feel heroic. It feels harsh. It feels. Um, I'm not going to say grindy, uh, but definitely not to the not to the death level of Morkborg. Mm-hmm. But definitely within that OSR vibe, it gives it. It gives it that feel very strongly, and to that, for people who are entering something like this, can feel way more intimidating. The chance of of screwing something up feels much more palatable, like it's right there at the edge of things, um, from a player's perspective, right? So selling this system as something that is heroic doesn't fit very well because it's not mm-hmm. trying to say that this could create an epic saga for your characters as they ascend to godhood isn't going to happen yeah right yeah um and for that reason it isn't D, but man does it feel like what D could have been yeah like yeah. a second edition didn't yeah, I move on. It's 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 one of those things that like I I almost want to chalk it up as a as as a positive that it doesn't reach for <laughs> ironically enough, doesn't reach for the stars. No. Um but you know for but for some people that's going to be a limiting factor. Yeah, you without know? a doubt. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to put that down as a, one one thing it does not do well. It's not necessarily a, a bad thing, yeah. but it doesn't do high epic fantasy well no you're not gonna have a game of political intrigue within this yeah that is going to be a challenge at the same time like you're also not gonna have a a a a pulpy dance of 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 hijinks in Mm. this either you could in theory but it would feel very odd against the system yeah you would struggle uh, and then one of the things that I, that I, I uh, think is probably maybe a weakness of this of this book um, is that, dead honest, I've been doing this for a long time. I've looked at numerous other systems. We've done other, numerous other systems for system spotlights on this show, and I cracked open the world building section of this uh, of this book and was intimidated. <laughs> uh, I was absolutely blown away by the amount of options, but at the same time, I looked at it and was just like, "This is so much." Do I have to do all of this? Do, not only do I have to do all of this, but 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 a, uh, it's just charts upon charts upon charts upon charts upon charts upon charts upon charts, and it started to feel a little overwhelming. Not not only do I have to do all of this, but like, how do I find anything amongst this? And okay, I, now, I get that. Understanding it is indexed in the PDF and stuff well like so. so. I mean, yeah, I, it's not that I couldn't do a search function for it, but right. like at a certain point, when you literally take the scroll bar on a PDF and just scroll it down, two hundred nine pages, and it's just, and all you just see is just flicking by you. Literally every frame of animation that is that is rendering on your screen is chart 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 chart. chart. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. you start kind of getting going a little cross eyed looking at it. So. Um, and then lastly, I would say, like, the, the human-centric story, um, I tend to like those because I, I, I play a lot of humans in D&D because I find them very identifiable. I figure I'm already suspending my disbelief for uh, the world and the magic and all that jazz. Trying to imagine my character as a species that I don't identify with 
is another step of, of disbelief I have to suspend. Yeah. Um, so I tend to like human centric, but I understand that there are a lot of people who think the exact opposite of me. And that is I'm a human every day of the week. I didn't show up to your fantasy game to play a human. <laughs> you exactly. Know? No. And I, I agree with that sentiment is like, is that it does, it does feel heavily limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost like, you know, super sapien uh, yeah. in that sense. Like, you know, humans are superior when they're not, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't It doesn't ever make that claim. And I, 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 I do kind of want to shy away from that because there, there are implications I don't like about, you know, the it, supremacy. Of I don't certain, think it was you know, supremacy. Yeah. I, I, it, this game does not give any supremacy angles as far as yeah, any feeling. Exactly. And I want to be just, very clear about it, that. It just basically says... We are simplifying things. Exactly. We exactly. don't want to make this that challenging. There's enough going on this in this world without introducing elves and dwarves and gnomes and all of their own little cultures and political machinations. Like, let's just do some weird fantasy stuff with humans. Yeah. You know? Let's let's just keep it simple. Yeah, let's exactly. Just, believe me, there's enough weirdness among humans. The world Go, is big enough. Yeah. yeah let, <laughs> let's not add another layer of, of, of right, racism right. on top of that, so... All right, let's get some questions. Yes. Hulavu. Might be too generic, but do we want to put this one right at the beginning? Sure, go okay. for it. Let's just, just read them off. With all, the, with, with all the people looking to switch from 5e, what are some tips for GMs running systems that they've never played before? Um, I had some thoughts on this. GMs running systems they've never played before. Okay. Correct. Yep. So... Uh, my whole thing, and we've gone over this multiple times, we're talking about new systems, yeah, sure. is you have to understand the key elements of the system to be able to run it. If you don't have that down in your head as a storyteller, you are never going to be able to convey it. What is the system trying to do? How yeah. does the system want you to play it? Yeah, there's, and, and I'm talking about two different pieces. One, one yeah, that yeah, you yeah, do yeah. inherently, which is the, this is a D20 system. Mm-hmm. I roll this dice, I add these things. Did I achieve my goal by going over a number? Uh, that That is a system. This is how it happens. And then there's, by doing that, is this system trying to say, survive by hit points? Is it attrition of resources? Must I return home? Like, what is the sales pitch of the mechanic. Yes. So there's two yes. pieces there to know as a storyteller. Once you have those and you slap those together, you know that system well enough to sell the system. Mm-hmm. I am not saying it is it is required. I am saying that if you don't have those two pieces before you sit down in front of your group, selling the system and those first couple game sessions is going to be very challenging. You're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Fewer players, when they first sit down at a new game, even think about the rules at all. Mm-hmm. They build their character and learn the rules from the character perspective in most cases because they have an idea of a character and then either go two directions. One, this is the image of the character I want to build or this is the perfection of the character that I wish to build. Mm-hmm. And they'll look at it either by numbers and perfection or throughout how does everything fit together to make this happen tell me yeah yeah. and they want to know those two things so that that is the angle you have so they never get to the system mechanics until you present it to them Mm -hmm. so a lot of times storytellers will immediately say oh it's not D &D because it's not d20 okay you've just lost your players in most cases Mm -hmm. they don't care about that they care about can i play my character in this world like what is the limitations like, hey, I'm I want to play a fire mage who is clumsy as hell. Yeah, you can do it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, no problems. We got that. Yep. You know, oh, is it a specific kind of fire mage? No, you're a fire mage. Okay, great. There you go. Done. Yeah. All right. No big deal. You know, and that's the whole thing is that if they can be who they want to be or, you know, whether it's finite and precision and rolled to a certain direction or narratively crafted in a certain direction, that's what matters. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're switching from 5e, figure out how whatever system, how those mechanics work, and then listen to your players in the transition of what they want to be in this world, in that system. And make sure you understand how to draw them in without pigeonholing them. Let mm-hmm. them build it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would say the other the other big uh, piece of advice I would give is in researching your new system, um, try to find an actual play of it. That's always a great idea. Uh, yeah. Because there's a lot of things that like you can read the mechanics for mm-hmm. a dozen times over, and you might know where all the numbers end up and how all the dice roll. But seeing how that system is intended to be employed mm-hmm. within the scope of a story and at a table with actual players engaging with it may look different than it does in your mind just reading the mechanics of it. My caveat to that is if one of those let's plays involves the designer, watch that and then watch someone that does not have the designer. You're correct, yes. Because you will find that those two games are very different. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Go, go watch a 7C with John Wick. Go watch a 7C without John Wick. Those two systems, you'll, you'll think they're two different systems. Yeah, one of them, everybody's dead. <laughs> different different John Wick. D- different John Wick, but, you know, but not so different. I mean, it is 7C, not that many people die in it, so. All right, um, so Hulu also asks, uh, what elements in Worlds Without Number would be familiar to 5th E players, which are going to be more uh, of Oh, which ones are going to be a more of a stretch for, for them, them to learn? To learn. Um, um, I would say, I would say uh, for, for me, my answer is both of the exact same thing, mm-hmm. is that... Everything in 5e is familiar from the the idea of you want to you know hit or exceed an armor class. Your stats are the same. Yeah. A lot of your skills are you know essentially familiar. How those things add up your 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 bonus plus your attribute bonus plus your die roll to exceed a target number. All those mechanics translate over directly. Yeah. However, it's a double-edged sword in that all those mechanics are slightly different. Narrowed. Narrowed. Yeah. Your 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 power curves a lot flatter, your 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 spell lists are a lot shorter, your numbers are a lot lower, your skill points are a lot fewer. Your and TN is easier to calculate. Right. And sometimes those and and you're not going to be using a D20 for all of those. So which throws off a lot of people. It's familiar enough that you think you know what's going on, but that's also the trick that you think you know what's going on, therefore you do the wrong thing because you do the right. D&D thing and not the Worlds Without Number thing. I think it's also the D&D to Pathfinder problem in many cases. Yeah, yeah I think so, so too. So I think if you if you had players who were going from D&D to Pathfinder or D&D to Worlds Without Number, you're going to run the same issues. Yeah. Literally yeah. almost the same issues. Yep. Um, but I will say that it is lighter. Overall, the rules are lighter. The transition is is to a lighter mechanic set, mm-hmm. and and that is something that you can easily sell. Yeah, yeah you absolutely. can transition a character from one to the other, um, pretty very, easily, very easily, and say, okay, yeah, you don't have all of these things, but the world doesn't need it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We've just simplified things from you. You don't need to be able to soar through the air, get 17 different attacks, and call down lightning from the sky while you're doing it. Like, yep. 
You can explain that to me. It could happen, but uh, that's not the roles that we need to make. Right, 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 right. Um, the Mad Elf steps even further away from topic a little bit here, uh, but funnily stepped in at a very interesting time, and I'd love to tell the story about this one. Uh, what is your top second, third, and fourth game systems? Noting that he did not say top first. Well, that, that's the thing. I don't, I don't really... Okay, I think, I think there was supposed to be a comma there. I think it was top, second, third, and fourth. Okay. I think... I think that, that was the implication, but I, 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 I the know comedy he, was is literally just before. I was like, did he only want second, third, and fourth? Like, <laughs> does he know what our first game is? Well, I mean, everybody does it. Savage. It's Worlds. Savage Worlds. Always <laughs> play Savage Worlds. Don't ever play any other system. It was funny that literally five minutes before this hit, I had sent Sarah a Reddit thread where somebody had literally done the everything, uh, every response that normally comes through on r slash RPG. Yeah, I'm looking for a game that does this, and it's like, what are the top ten responses you're going to get? It was system, it was by system all the way down, and it was so perfect. I was like, hey Sarah, your response number seven. Yeah, response number seven was Savage Worlds. The answer is always Savage Worlds. And then there was another one and another one, and then it was nine, GURPS. The answer is always always GURPS. GURPS. But all of them were so, so succinct. It was literally just a sentence response for each one of them. And they were exactly as as the predominant tropey response for each one yeah, of those. Yeah, funny. Like, D&D could be anything you want it to be, you know. But we but we were we were laughing because it was like, oh, God, they've got us. They've they got us pegged. Because, we're, because we're, the, uh, we're the Savage Worlds is always the answer crowd now all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, really, we're, yeah, we're just going to change the show to Savage Worlds is the system you should play. All right, of our, right. one, all of our two. 202s are going to be, here's how you convert your game to Savage Worlds We're from changing, X system. Changing the name of the podcast to Savage Savage Conclave, you yeah. know. Uh, so. No, no. I, I think there are plenty of game systems out there. We will be playing more of them. No, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Sarah, what's on your list? Alright, so he asked uh, for favorite game systems. Yes. And I, this was a really difficult question because I, I... We haven't gotten to play a lot. Well, first off, I mean, I've got, a, I've got a long we history of, of playing different games. But here's the thing of it is that I started thinking that, like, there are games that I've played a lot of. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say they're my favorite systems. Like, oh, I've no. played a lot of very mediocre systems. <laughs> well, but yeah. I've, but I've played quantifiably a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I played White Wolf for a long time, and sure. I would not rank that in my top five, you know. No, no, definitely. But it was yeah. what everybody else was playing, and we told some interesting stories with it, you know, mm-hmm. what was available. Mm-hmm. So. Very much so, very much so. Uh, so, number one, of course, is Savage Worlds. Yeah, uh, you're it's, loving it's it. Extraordinarily uh, uh, versatile and pulpy, which is what I really like in a storytelling No, a, a I agree. I, I think it's, that's fantastic for you. Following up on the pulp, I'm going to follow that with number two. Mm-hmm. Dipping into White Wolf's pulp system, yeah. Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society. Still very pulpy. You like your you like your orange your game systems like you like your orange juice full of pulp. Uh, but it, well, and I do. Uh, uh, and the uh, the 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 thing I think I like the most about that is that it not only does it have a pulpy feel like Savage Worlds does, but is literally set in the pulp genre in that it is, takes place in the twenties and thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very much designed to tell those types those, those those types of stories, and I think it's underrepresented very in much the so. uh, uh, in the, the tabletop role playing game. I think that the twenties and thirty pulp tends to go detective, yeah, and and adventure is not. Yeah, no, it is no, not. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's more, it's it's a lot more uh, uh heroic, honestly, m- mummy Indiana Jones, yeah, yeah, you know, style stuff. Uh, my Classic heroism. Third one on my list, I'm going to say is Mouse Guard. Um, and okay. uh, Mouse Guard is a game I've gotten to play uh, because of the Mad Elf. Um, and uh, the more I play it, the more I 
I I love the um the way that it breaks out of the typical mold of TTRPGs mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. Uh that, you know, it's a big idea of failing forward, of, you know, failure is not a thing. It's always just an advance in the story. Mm-hmm. Um that uh not passing a role, you know, a a check on the role is necessary to advance. We learn from our failures. And in fact, uh you gain advancement, you know, personally by complicating things for other people. Yeah. And it makes you very comfortable with the idea of conflict and failure mm-hmm. as motivators in a story rather than something to be feared because, oh, God, if I fail this role, we're just going to die. Only bad things come from failing a role. It's not like that. No. The story always goes forward. And uh, that's a big thing that Mouse Guard has taught me and has gotten me very comfortable with the idea of. And I, I so that, that's why it sits on that list. And then lastly, uh, my number four slot is Dread. Because uh, as a game system, anytime you start and end that conversation with, it's a Jenga tower. Um, honestly, that's just such an inventive mechanic that I've never seen replicated anywhere else. And how that Jenga tower is used to produce a survival horror effect of inevitable, inevitable failure. Every test makes that tower more flimsy and failure more inevitable the next time around is just brilliant. Yeah. Is just brilliant. It's a, it's, it's a visible, physical, emotional attachment. You can see that thing teetering and it creates dread in you just knowing that it's sitting on the table. And if somebody breathes wrong at a certain point, it could fall, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it just, just as far as just sheer inventiveness of the game mechanics and how effectively, they uh they they do the job that they're set out to do. Dread sits at my number four spot. Okay, okay. Um, I will put I I would have normally put Seven C at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are talking about systems. Yeah. So I'm gonna I like Savage World as a system. I want to run Savage World as a system, but enjoying it as a player, it has been incredible. Yes. Um, I like it. I I it's currently sitting in the number one position. I don't know if it will stay there. Sure. Um. But at the moment, that's where I put. I still put Seven C First Edition in the second slot, and mm-hmm. the reason for that is because I love the heroism that is apparent at all times, and that terms like drama that you're giving drama and getting drama, and that there's a pool of it that sits there. This this concept is so visceral within the way that the game is played that you can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. It has to sit there and, and bind with the story and that the elements of the story that make up the mechanics are bound into the world. It's all this goopy mess of mechanics and world building all in one. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something beautiful about that. Mm-hmm. And I love that. You know, you can't just extract it and say, oh, I could put this in any other system. And it's 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 agnostic. No. No, it's really not. It's it, it's very baked into the world of Thea. Yeah. yeah. And and taking things out of it, you have to take it whole cloth. You can't just you can't just extract the colon of this yeah. and and say everything's going to be okay. It's right, not right. like it'll fall apart. So I, I there's something special about that to me. The the colon, that's Porte, right? Yes. <laughs> very, <laughs> very much so. Yeah. Um I Mouse Guard has such a system that's Im- that's embedded with it as well, mm-hmm. but I feel that there are so many wonderful components that you look at each piece, and it doesn't say that it's Mouse Guard, but it is. It is imprinted it within. It feels like Mouse Guard. It, it's yeah. imprinted, and 
we we had on uh the Plingia mm-hmm. uh, system and we talked to the creator there and I looked back at Mouseguard and I realized that the metal is there. Yeah. It is a different kind of metal. It is the mouse. Yeah. And I was so like the the cheese is there. The, the, yeah. <laughs> sad to say, but true. Yeah. Um but it gives the game so much teeth. If you look at everything tiny in it, little teeth. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. And it's like, okay, it was it was there originally and it's owned and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I agree with you, the whole concept of not only spending your traits to do something heroic for yourself in a scene because it, it's applicable mm-hmm. you know like well i'm i'm you know i'm brave okay that applies to the scene sure sure have an extra die you know that simple mechanic is expending a part of your character's soul into the game mm-hmm. and that's it, rare in any other system but at the same time using that then to complicate somebody yes. else of like oh my character is uh you know determined just absolute attention to detail and just want to be on this. So I'm going to be micromanaging your entire plan and bugging the crap out of you. Yeah. Subtract to die. Right. You know? But it, it still counts as a step forward yeah. for you to advance. Exactly. And, and to be able to do things in other parts of the story. And that right there is a mechanic that, again, you look at each piece of this and you realize how much it is about telling the story of the adventurers. Yes. And I say... There is no reason why that can't be extracted. And yeah, used. absolutely. And should be. Absolutely. And should be. Absolutely. And so I, I look at that system and I constantly look at angles of it different ways. And I'm like, I don't want to extract it from Mouse Guard because it's mm-hmm. so beautiful there. But you can't deny that it needs to be there. Yeah. So again, like 7C, it's bound into what makes it. Um, and then the last one, I just find beauty in the narrative of Urban Shadows. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's There's something to be said at looking at the contemporary fantasy that mm-hmm. incorporates every fantasy trope in such a wonderful package. Yeah. And then sells it to you as this is your world. Tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to tell you what city you're in and what's happening in that city. I'm going to give you all of the tool sets and give you the feeling of all those pieces and then say, what are these cogs doing in this city? Mm-hmm. What's breaking down? What's working? Yeah. And let the players build that. And again, that's a that's another thing that's baked into that mechanic. But you look at that and you say, as a mechanic, you're like, ooh, I have some great storytellers that I sit down with. I want them to do this. Play I, to find out. Yeah. yeah. And it's, oh, yeah. it's so, it's so rich to be able to do that. And you know me, again, I flip right to story sections of, of mechanics to figure out what the developer felt about oh, that. Oh, yeah, sure, 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 and sure. as much as OSR is about, hey, build a dungeon and go run it, mm-hmm. you know, this game that we just reviewed, it again, comes back and says, I'm going to help you mm-hmm. understand what are the minimums that you need. Grab two tags. Doesn't matter which two. You now have something. Yeah. Go to town. Yep. I'm going to give you all kinds because your brain's going to go wild, and I'm going to help guide you through that. Mm-hmm. But seriously, start simple. Here's the things I'm going to help you with. Yeah, right on. And any system, like especially with like Urban Shadows, is it hands you that same kind of mechanic and lets you run with it. And you, you can't you can't deny those. Right on. So right on. Uh, so she says same question, but about game settings. I think we kind of broke that down, but I I, I will hit mine fast. But Seven... this is settings. But right. this is settings. This is and just that's settings. Completely divorced from game mechanics, because yeah. for me there are some yeah there are some horrible game mechanics attached to some really cool settings out there. Yeah, like Seven C's at my top from settings because I really love 
just getting back to oh, like yeah. children's books and High history adventure slapped on together. Pirates of the Caribbean style, you know, yeah. Absolutely. It's childhood wrapped up in a in a yeah. nice blanket and given to you as an adult, you know. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't who doesn't like pirate high adventure in the seventh century exactly. in the seventeenth century? Shadowrun's epic. Yep. Straight up. Like yep. you, you you can't deny that cyberpunk is epic. Cyberpunk is epic, and then you add magic and fantasy creatures yeah, to it. And yeah, it and then even somehow epic. slap it on top of it uh, on what happened to the world, and you're like, all oh, this makes sense. Right? There's like, a dragon running a megacorp. I don't know how you get more metal than that. Like, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, Dune and BattleTech both sit in the same place in my headspace. Okay. Like, okay. I love knowing those settings Mm -hmm. and being like, ooh, there's so much to touch there on a macro and a micro level. Yeah. Like, you don't know where you want to sit. You know, do you want to play it at, you know, battle fleet level or do you want to play it at the individual who's sneaking into something? Sure, sure. You know, both of those are there as a setting and you're like, oh, there's so much richness, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And then Numenera really intrigued me. But same with this, that far human future of fantasy. Yeah, right. Where it's like you're not sure how far you are. Uh huh. Or if you're, I don't know, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. I mean, that fits just as easily. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's that weird <clears throat> humanity is here, mm-hmm. but where is here? Right, right. You know, and I that's beautiful. That's beautiful for me too. Uh, so for me, my 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 absolute top one. Uh, I'm gonna come back to BattleTech Mech Warrior. You freaking love it. Uh, that. Um, I had this great conversation with a friend of mine. Um, where uh, I, I, you know, you get, you go online and you see all these other fandoms out there, mm-hmm. and you see people who are just like cosplaying and creating, you know, fanfic and you know, just really engaging all the yeah. fan art and just engaging with their fandom in just these really intense ways and like. I don't think I've ever been that enthusiastic about anything to want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. And I, I, you know, in contrast, you begin to feel a little bit like, wait, am I just dead inside? Like (laughs) that I, that I just can't experience joy like that, you know, uh, in such an unbridled and creative sense, you know? Um, and, uh, this, this friend took me aside and they were like, no, you're, you're not dead inside. And I'm like, I know, but I feel that way. Like I've never felt those intense feelings. And she turns to me and goes, well, which, which which BattleTech house are you? I'm like, how's Davian? Definitely. And she's like, there's your thing. It's just you you need to know which thing is yours. Like, right. you're not that way about Harry Potter. Nope. You're not that way about Disney or, you know, Star Wars or anything like that. Those aren't your things. BattleTech is your thing. Like, you knew that answer. But if I, like, bought you a Steiner, like, emblem and asked you to put it on your car, you would spit on it, throw it on the ground, and light it on fire. Right. Yeah. No, I would respect I would, that. I would doodle a little sunburst around it and be like, there, now it's Federated Suns. Now we can deal with this. You know? right. And I would know to do right, that right, because right. Battletech is my thing. Right. You know, uh, so that my first love, my my, 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 my best love, Battletech. Yeah. Uh, my second in line is going to be the Aeonverse. Okay. And this is the universe that adventure takes place in. Over um, the entire thing. Right, but Adventure, Trinity, and Aberrant are all, not in that order, um, yeah. uh, are all part of the same universe. Yeah. I didn't take to Trinity too much, but I really love um, the characters and the origins of how the ad- how Adventure comes to be, mm-hmm. and then how that turns into Aberrant in the quote-unquote present day. Yeah. Um, and uh, that whole story was very compelling. The setting was very captivating to me, regardless of the game mechanics attached to it. I feel like it it missed out on the Buck Rogers future. 
maybe, but but the, it was superhero, so uh, you know. Well, the thing was, it wasn't superheroes. Right. There is literally a sidebar in the aberrant book that says this is not super friends. Right. Uh, because it was supposed to be about telling very human stories. Yes. Like the like the show Heroes actually came yeah. very close to the feel of what an aberrant game should be. Right. Which is your normal dude who suddenly turned into lightning one day. Yeah. What do you do with that? Yeah, you don't get a super suit and 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 everybody just suddenly accepts you as a superhero. It doesn't right. work that this way. This isn't the DC universe where suddenly it's like, oh, there he is. Is he a bird? Is he a plane? I don't know. Right. Um. It, it's like, no, you just turn into living lightning. You should really figure out what to do with that. Oh, and uh, there are about seventeen people who just have a political opinion about your place in the world now. You yeah, know? And where you belong. Exactly. Most of those are fearful. Um. <laughs> And then uh, third on my list, Shadowrun. Yep. For all the stated reasons, there yep. is a dragon running a megacorp. How do you get? How yeah. do you? How do you get more metal than that? Yeah. Um, but again, this is probably the biggest example of love the setting, hate the game. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, fair. That's fair. Like, fair. Fasa could not write a rule system to save their <laughs> lives, but uh, but man, the setting was so cool. Uh, and then you know I'm gonna have to go with Call of Cthulhu because you know I'm just a gigantic Lovecraft fangirl, mm-hmm. and uh, I absolutely love Lovecraftian horror. I love that whole thing. Lovecraft always, with a disclaimer, was an absolutely crappy, garbage human being. But man, some of the legacy he left with his stories and the imaginations he sparked in other people, and how we continue to uh, build upon that 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 idea of eldritch horror. Yeah, the unspeakable, the unknowable. Really, really inspires me. That's awesome. Really inspires me. All right. Nevum, as always, uh, is Worlds Without Numbers a system compatible with Stars Without Numbers and thus being able to play some space fantasy games? 100%. 100%. You could you could take Worlds Without Number and throw, those, throw the stuff into Stars Without Numbers and have Star Wars right now, without question. Go for it. Have fun. You could do it. Everything's compatible. No question about it. Um, so we, we kind of answer that easy. Uh, what aspects of this book are useful for other games? The entire 209 pages of the DM section. <laughs> Just buy the book for that. If you, if you don't want it for anything else, buy the book for that. Literally everything that isn't the core mechanics. Yes. Yeah, just literally yes, steal Which is it. most of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Steal everything within that section yeah. and, and write it off yeah. as, as a DM tool. This is probably like whole cloth, the most useful game agnostic book I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. That has a system attached to it that if you'd like to play, go right ahead. <laughs> but like everything in it is useful everything mm-hmm. and enjoy it like i'm i'm not i would never tell someone to not buy this book at, for anything there there's too much of value in here enjoy it um so we have one of our new listeners uh relatively new listeners uh Art- articus am i saying that right yes uh, arcticus arcticus yes uh worlds without number and other worlds without number games is a fairly simple system that gives you lots of room for porting over mechanics and content from the systems are there any rules mechanics ideas or content you'd bring over to enhance worlds without number game so i think that I think and you the, and i have the same answer is that this, this is osr it is meant to be a simple system yeah i think by incorporating other things into the system you change it from being osr correct. and fundamentally change the feel of the game correct yes. and i i think that that is the part that you have to be exceptionally careful about now is are there things that you could bring in 
that would be narrative aspects that this game might lack and that your players may need as tool sets. For instance, interludes is something you could agnostically bring in. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great mechanic to bring in to help with narrative roleplay, where players may be not getting into character as well as you'd like them to. Maybe maybe you're trying to have a little, like, get them to know each other better and have stories. Interludes might be a good thing to bring in there. Yeah. Um, but I think anything um, that that doesn't that doesn't add or enhance the narrative side of this that focuses on mechanical changes are a failure. I think you're you're going to run amok because it is meant to be OSR for OSR and without keeping that core element you're trying to turn it into something that it is not. Yeah, yeah. Acknowledging that it would fundamentally change the feel of the game, the only answer I could come up with was Benny's yeah, because um, like I we're playing your Dungeons and Dragons game mm -hmm. uh, the other day and like, man, just failing, abjectly failing a role that I feel was very important and core to my character, like advancing her story mm -hmm. was felt bad. Yeah. You know, and I found myself going, God, I wish I wish I had a Benny to spend to just reroll that. Yeah. Just just get another stab at it. Yeah. You know? It's not a guaranteed. It's basically your luck points, you know, but like everybody kind of gets them, you know. Yeah. Um, I I would twist that as well to say because this game has so many environmental holes in it mm -hmm. that says that this is at some abject point in history. Maybe you could have a token system for uh, narrative editing. Yeah. You know, like Adventure does, sure, sure. where if you're doing something, you know, a player does something exceptional in a narrative sense within uh, the tactical side of the game or within an aspect of the game, or they're playing toward values of their character or an aspect of their character, mm -hmm. give them a Benny that allows them to do an edit yeah, within sure. the story that it that changes the narrative. It may not change the consequences, that there's a consequence for an action, but it may open something. For instance, when their axe gets lodged in the ground... Because they, you know, bought, they failed a, a strike horribly or whatever, mm -hmm. right? They decide to spend a token because it cracks open the ground and within it they find another chamber. Sure. Fantastic. Sure. That's great. It's mm -hmm. a narrative change. Everything moves on. Yep. And I like those types of aspects because, again, it opens that creative, that narrative part of the story and express, allows the players to express something mm -hmm. as well. Um, you know, I, our... You know, or, I mean, you could technically, if you wanted to, change the power curve of the game by having those be spent uh, at the end of the game for experience. Yeah, that would drastically change the power curve of the game. It would, but it would also, if you were prepared for it, you could uh, you could say that this is a heroic-style game, sure. that I'm looking for good roleplay, sure. and I'll, I'll give you bennies for good role for playing your characters and their, their failures. And honestly, like, I, think that's, I think that's even fitting in the spirit of Worlds Without Number. They really want to give you a toolkit and don't want to tell you how to play the game. Yep. You know, that's why there is so little guidance on what should give you experience. Right. I don't know what kind of game you're running. Right. What do you want to emphasize? If you want to throw something like that in and then have that used as experience at the end of the game, like, cool. Like, mm -hmm. that's it's your game. We're just giving you the tools to play it, you know, yep, yep. go for it. And and I, I think that's the, the heart of it. I think that's where I would come off on on, on any alterations to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So. 
All right, we have gone for an hour and 50 minutes Holy at this Lord, point. look at that. It says two hours on the recording. Yeah, well, that's because you started with the pre-show music 10 yeah. minutes early, so... Yeah, so, wow. Uh, it is time we wrap this up. Our next week's topic is going to be skills that you can, ta- as a storyteller, you can take away from the table. Uh, does all this time playing Dungeons & Dragons and other great games with your friends do anything for you? Actually, the, the answer is the yes. The answer is yes, and we're going to help outline some of those things, because you may be... I don't know, young and thinking like, what will I be able to do with all this? There, in the there, future? there is a joke post that goes around that's like how to put D and D on your resume, and it's like really only kind of half joking because legitimately there are some real good skills. So, no, one hundred percent agree uh, with that. So we're gonna talk about that uh, next week uh, for our next week's topic. Um, on that though, there we go. All right, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, seven p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave, and uh, join us up on our Discord. Shoot us some questions. Join this great discussion with all the other storytellers out there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com. Yeah, we've had a number of new people join our Discord. We're so glad to have all of you. We'd love to have more. Honestly, ask your questions. Join us. Uh, if you really do enjoy the podcast, we'd ask you to join our Patreon uh, and help us out with that. This is um, not the updated Patreon list. I apologize for that. Oh, it is our old list. Well, we have a number of uh, named members who are at that rank. Knox in, the, uh, Knox in the Box, Sam, Subject, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We really do appreciate all I of I think that's stuff. the full list. I know. Awesome. I, I've Thank almost you. memorized all of it. <laughs> our pre-show music is by Arcade Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash Anthems or on Instagram. I do help, hope you check them out. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout-out, as always, for our families, Vicky and Sean, who thank you so much for loving loving us and supporting us and bearing with us as we record this for an hour and 50 minutes <laughs> it's true um all of our friends who sat outside our tables for uh for all these uh, have these great stories to share with you over the years and you every single one of our listeners we love you guys so much love you good, good night, night.